Hi there, Free Strats listeners. This is Alan coming in right before the show to give you all a little bit of an update on where we've been, why this episode is so short, and what is going on with Freaks Chats. I'm sure you're all freaking the hell out uh, in your seats right now listening to the episode being like, what, 30-something minutes? What the heck? That's probably more closer to 45 with this and the mailbox that I haven't recorded yet. But I digress. The reason that we have a short episode this week is because we only discussed one episode. That's right, folks. It's been the busy season. Majan and I have both been wrapped up in a lot of um, work-related stuff and personal projects, and Majan was in New York for a whole week, so we didn't have time to record the second episode discussion just yet, and we figured instead of forcing ourselves to rush out a second half and then edit it and then get that all up by our usual Sunday upload date, we give you the first half, and we give you the mailbox, and then next week we're going to give you the second half, and then the week after that you're going to get a big, chunky Freaks Chats finale. That'll be the last episode of Freaks Chats for the foreseeable future, and then we're going to be moving on to our next show. Now, part of the reason that we're also only doing one episode next week is to give us some buffer time because Majan and I have some plans going on next weekend. We're both going to be at uh, PAX East which is a, a video games and culture convention in Boston. Uh, that's Saturday, which is Saturday the 11th of March. Um, if any of you, I guess, are in the Boston area and you are in, the, in that corner, come say hi. I don't know. We're going to be hanging out all day. It's going to be a good time. I've, I've, I love Faxies. I think it's a great convention. It's kind of like one of the only big ones I go to every year. And um, it's going to be a fun time. But because of that, we are not going to have time to record that weekend. We usually record on like Fridays or Saturdays, and that's going to be just, if you've ever been to a convention, you know those are just like day consumers. So um, with all that in mind, again, sorry for the whole week off, and sorry for the next couple weeks of single episodes, but we're getting back on track. We are almost locked down on what our next show is going to be. Love you, and we appreciate you listening, and we hope you enjoy this discussion of noshing and moshing. Now I'm ready to start. Oh, 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 oh. what song is that? Da, 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 da. That's from a video game. Da, 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 da. I think it's from Kentucky oh, it's Castlevania. Ruggiero. No, it's, it's Castlevania. Castlevania. I made a remix of that song once that got taken down from SoundCloud. It got taken down? Yeah, because it was, it was two licensed songs combined together. Like, of course it got taken down. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, I still have it somewhere. It's called All Hands on Bloody Tears. All hands on bloody tears. Yeah, all hands okay, on... Okay, that song where he goes... Where he, the instrumentalist, goes... That part fits perfectly into the, the Tina Shea song, uh, All Hands on Deck. You mean Tina Fey? Like, Tina Shea. Tina Fey? T-I-N-A-S-H-E. Tina Shea. Kanye's a big fan of her. Anyways, she has a no song where No one man like, should have no one man. Sorry. She has that one song where she goes, All hands on deck. All in the trap just like that. And I put the boonanoo from Bloody Tears. So it's like... Chip tunes and a rap song. It's kind of good. 
welcome to Freaks Chats. This is episode eight. My name is Alan, and I'm joined as always by my best friend, Magellan. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Hi. I'm doing good. It's always a little disarming when you remind me of how close and dear our friendship is. I know. I do it on purpose. Uh, buddy. <laughs> I want to put us in a position at the beginning of the show where it's very firmly staked in the ground that we love each other. I would kiss you. What? So we watch Freaks and Geeks. We watch two episodes a week. It's called Freaks Chats. This week we watched um, episodes 15 and 16. They are noshing and moshing and smooching and mooching. Oh, Lots of ants. Hold off on that smooching for now. Because first, it's time for some noshing and moshing. Yes. This episode was written by J. Elvis Weinstein, directed by Jake Kasdan, and it aired, dear listener, October 17th of 2000. Elvis is not nearly... trying very hard to uh, hide the fact that he's still alive. Who's that? Elvis Presley. <laughs> J. Elvis Weinstein. It's <laughs> yeah, like, come that's, on, that's dude. That's the name that he's chosen to to masquerade as. He just writes TV uh, shows from the toilet and then just continues to be on the toilet eternally. In uh, Tennessee, huh? So, do the fucky chicken. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Wait, that's Johnny Bravo. <laughs> you know? Well, t- I mean, you know, you're in the ballpark. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do something fancy with me. <laughs> no, Monachi and Moshing was a pretty busy episode. It was really funny. Um, it was really uncomfortable, and it had um, some ventriloquism. <laughs> so let's talk about it, man. It's yeah. been so long since we recorded. I forgot how we do this. Well, um, here's how we do it. I say a little thing, and then you say a thing, and then all the things will eventually be said. Here's my piece on noshing and moshing. I liked it, and I hated it both at once it's didactic <laughs> it's tight it's, it's it's sort of a sort of a diadem it's sort of a, a sort of a dipole it's sort of a magnetic dipole yeah definitely it's sort of a diaspora sort of a di- it's sort of a sort of a dionysus you know yeah it's Dione- dionysian what yeah it's dionysian uh it's sort of bacchanalian it's sort of a it's sort of a never say never again situation yes all those things yes anyway i uh we get to zoom in on. <laughs> we, we get to zoom in on two characters that don't normally get to be at the center of a plot, specifically Neil and Daniel, and that I think made for an episode that was exciting um, because it offered us perspective on characters and character relationships that we haven't really delved into yet. But it also made for an episode that felt. Uh, at times somewhat contrived uh, and forced. And I think that that is sort of I'm the best way to... why you thought it was that. Why I thought it was contrived? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think both... So for both Neil and Daniel, they're going through difficult, confusing emotions that feel realistic, but the ultimate climactic scenes of both plots feel um melodramatic i mean neil's obviously is is just intentionally cringeworthy and over the top um and it's like my brother's kissing the girl i like my dad i hate my dad so i'm gonna use this ventriloquism puppet to, to to make jokes about my dad um like it, the emotions are all realistic, but the the circumstances are very TV. And for Daniel, um, 
I mean, I think part of the, it just felt kind of like the Daniel plot was in part written as an excuse to like do a punk episode. Um, it's because it's a corner of, of culture from this time that we weren't necessarily going to see any other way since neither the freaks nor the geeks are punkers. Um, yeah. But we wanted to do this, this fun set design and the really fantastic hair and costume work that we see from Daniel this week. Um, but ultimately it, it felt like that plot was in, in service of moments like him, you know, get, getting the piercing or almost getting the piercing or whatever. Um, so maybe, maybe it's a little harsh to call it contrived, but it felt, um, a little more dramatic than other episodes in my opinion. And yeah, I think the, the part of that that I agree with you the most on is that Daniel's plot felt like not only were we trying to was the writers trying to say hey punk was a big thing but also daniel needs to have something for himself which again why not just do that for mrs weir and satisfy the thing this podcast needs the most which is some fucking gene weir awesomeness thank you but instead Mm -hmm. for daniel in a plot that centers around him uh trying to make somebody fall in love with him because things i guess he's (laughs) yeah I guess that is the thing that bugged me. It didn't feel re- realistic to Daniel's character that he um, that he would go chasing this girl. I don't know Not that at all. It that the, was the part for me that felt contrived. The him like trying to find himself and relabel himself is very much in line with this show and and with its um its core interests in terms of identity formation but him doing it all because of a girl just felt cheap and shallow well especially because we've already seen characters on the show do things for girls like all the time <laughs> yeah. see the entire geeks plot always forever <laughs> And then to see Daniel, who is so cool and is so it's like portrayed as this character that is kind of get has his shit together. And then like the punk stuff just feels like he is being vulnerable in a way that he doesn't need to be. And it doesn't feel believable. However, it leads to two of my favorite things about this episode, which are a uh, the secret Daniel's family life and home life that we learn a lot about and see a lot of, which I think says a lot about his character and again reinforces how much even daniel even the guy who we're sure is really cool like remember that scene where he was in the car by the bus stop and he was like took he took like millie's pixie stick Mm -hmm. uh that character also has to like deal with a like very very sick father and a mother who barely talks to him yeah and he sits in his room and he listens to black flag on the floor and is like sad and he acid washes his jeans and hits them a lot to make them <laughs> a different color for a girl. Like, I like that the, stuff a lot. The Daniel at home stuff was fantastic. Um, I think this the scene where he's trying to go to school and he's like, Mom, I'm going to be late for school. And then she says, no, you, you got to pick up your dad's prescription. You got to pick up the prescription. That scene was sublime. Yeah. I thought it was so fantastic. And then the other stuff, it just felt like TV. Yeah. yeah, especially the fact that Nick and Ken are relegated to the like compete competitively long haired boys, like who can grow the bigger afro, uh, dudes who are just wingmen that go to the punk concert and I don't know. Ken tries to get into it, I guess, and then Nick is just is, does Nick go with him? I don't even think Nick does. Nick go with them to so. the to the punk concert. Yeah. The club, yeah. yeah, but like both, yeah, both of them are just like in the corner doing their thing. Like they're just re- they become relegated to sidekicks in this episode. 
Um, mm. but I mean, this show does a lot of like shifting around who's the main character at any given moment. Cause like Lindsay is barely a character in this episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think out of the, the freaks dudes, Daniel is the character that I'm the most interested in seeing as the protagonist. Right. Just because he has the most, uh, the most opaque persona of any of them. Like Nick, we get, and we get to a, a very uncomfortable degree in part because we've we've been in that skin at some point in our lives. Um, and then Ken, you know, we all know people like Ken who are just kind of sarcastic, but they're also, you know, that they're good people. Uh, but Daniel, there's something about Daniel and about the effort that he puts into appearing effortless that is really fascinating. And and you see through the, all of the punk stuff, like all of the effort that he's putting into making it look effortless is is taxing. Um, right. I think the most evocative shot of the Daniel stuff is, and I took a note of this here, uh, it's when he's in the bathroom and the other guy says, man, there's so many posers in this club. And he's like, I'm no poser. And the guy's like, I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. That line says a lot. And then also... Daniel has just been like kicked in the head. So he's bleeding from the back of his head and he's looking in the bathroom mirror, this like grungy graffiti stained bathroom mirror. And it just, the he just looks at it dejected and the camera zooms right in on his face from the perspective of like behind his back mm -hmm. into the mirror. Yeah. And you see him looking at his own mirror image and realizing that he looks like a cartoon with his white <laughs> spiked hair. And he's just like, Oh, I'm not, I can't live as somebody who's not real anymore. Like I have to be yeah. myself and, you know, leads to one of the nicest scenes of the episode, which is sort of like the last Daniel moment where he goes to Kim's house still in his punk getup and uh, she's in her like nice pajamas and it's like 11 o'clock at night and she's just hugs him and they kiss and then uh. they're like, oh, and it's silent. There's no dialogue at all. And it just says so much. Yeah. Ah. And it really helps that that plot is so um, like easy and then like wraps up nicely, even though I had problems like you did with uh, sort of like the motivations for Daniel mm -hmm. is it just ends nice. And it's like, oh, yay, Daniel learned something about being yourself. Yeah. Which is such an important part of being a teenager and such an important part of Freaks and Geeks. Um, I think the thing that really makes that last scene vital to me is that it 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 sort of remedies our issue with how this plot starts because it it drives home the fact that it's it wasn't about the girl really right. it was about chasing the possibility of being somebody else um manifest in this girl who is is sort of a caricature of of otherness um and it's the first time i think a, f a few episodes of our podcast ago there was a daniel kim plot and I think I made some remark about like haven't we like, haven't we seen this already? Don't we know everything that we need to know about Daniel and Kim? Haven't we covered this ground? Yeah. But this felt like a genuinely new and deepening scene where I feel like I understand Daniel and Kim a little bit more um for seeing this scene. I mean, yeah, and like you said, because it's silent, you can plant your own little narrative in there of what they're thinking, but it all it manages to be like so vivid and you're just like, "Yep, I get it." That right there that like 30 seconds where he goes to the door knocks on her door and she sees him mm -hmm. says nothing and then hugs him that's it that's everything that's their whole relationship and the fact that the punk girl 
like she's almost like a poem of a person where she is huh. like works at a store is a high school dropout is seen as like really cool and different and he's like tempted by that universe and when he finally like gets to talk to her and she because i think everybody has at some point in their life they meet somebody like that Mm. who like is one degree away from the life you're living but that one degree feels so massive that you're just like Mm. craving Mm -hmm. the chance to to live it or to live even adjacent to it so like daniel sees her talking about obscure punk music and he's like yeah i like obscure punk music like I can't tell you enough how many people I've known in life who I've like wanted to impress by because they felt so different and interesting. Hmm. Um, that's like suburban life in a nutshell. It's like you're you feel uh, uncomfortably normal, and then you meet somebody who seems like they aren't. But it turns out we're all just really normal and, and weird, <laughs> and the, the normal doesn't mean anything. Because hmm. he goes to the concert and he almost pierces his nose with a fucking safety pin like an idiot. And then right then and there, he sees her kissing her boyfriend and he's like, oh, you're a person. Never mind. You're not just like, <laughs> Fadoop, ow, my nose. Uh, you're not the character that I made up in my head. Yeah. It's gross, man. It's icky, icky. I think that pretty much rounds out the Daniel stuff. I agree. Yeah. We, um, sort, of, we sort of crushed it. <laughs> yeah, Bruh. we're really good at this. I um I want to segue into the Neil stuff by talking about Lindsay because Lindsay gets some scenes in the beginning of this episode that lead to um the kiss, the worst kiss. <laughs> um because she spends the beginning of the episode being the most classic Lindsay. Like she well she's like studying on the floor at one point and then she goes to school and she sees that like really big dude who looks like he's in his late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> like his like late late 30s and he's like his name is si- they call him Seidelman. They I don't think they ever say his first name, but his character's name is Seidelman. Uh-huh. And he's carrying a girl over his shoulder and just being like, "Ah, oh, you love it, honey." And she's like, "No, it's the weirdest fucking scene of the whole show." <laughs> it's like what it's, what did you think she was how did you think she was going to react? Who would like that? What are you friends? Do she uh, what Uh, it's it's just like a brief if if you'd cut that scene after the first like 10 seconds it's just this guy carrying this woman on his shoulders it'll be like yeah this is great and then you just cut it it's like something from a david lynch movie it's like i was exactly gonna say david lynch this weird flash of grotesque suburbia that doesn't really make sense but then it kind of makes sense but then it doesn't make sense again Right, it, it, it that's a really good point. It really like slips in and out of it because like Lindsay sees it and she's like, "No, I'm the superhero. You need to stop, haha, evil villain." And the girl's like, "Fuck you," but also thanks. And then uh, Kowchowski comes in and uh, he says, "Like, go pick on someone your own size. Oh wait, you'll never find someone like that." Like he totally yeah, just like, calls the student a fat ass. Whoa! Like, what the <laughs> hell, Kowchowski? Why oh, are you man. so harsh? Um. Actually, no, he's like, that stops in that moment. I think that's where that happens. But then also, I think the Seidelman like makes, like, p- picks on the geeks at some point and then, like, in the lunchroom. And then that's also where, like, he comes back more than once. Cause I have a note in here that's like, wow, yeah. Seidelman is apparently a character now. But uh, I think we covered that point enough to the, to the idea being Lindsay hits him. And then because of the stupid way that high school detention works, that gets both of them in trouble. Uh, and so Lindsay's in detention. Which I only mention, A, because it leads to the Neil plot, and B, because they get to make their really nice 
this is our only chance to talk about detention point of like detention doesn't help anyone and it kind of just makes the people running it feel good it's kind of like a this is kind of corny and you might disagree with this but it's sort of like a microcosm for like the way the u.s does like torture stuff where it's like it doesn't actually help what you're trying Mm -hmm. to do it just makes the bad guys do more bad stuff yeah i mean i um can't remember now i'm talking on my ass because i can't remember where i read this or in what context um, but I've, I've read a lot about like justice and about punishment or the goal of punishment. Um, right. And detention really, I, I actually, I agree that it is, it does align with the American fascination with, um, retribution, right? Yeah. As a po- revenge, et cetera. Yeah. As opposed to actually, um, rehabilitating the person who, ha- who has done whatever it is they've done. Cause Lindsay says the thing that would make sense is these are the kids who need to be doing their homework and you're not letting them do their homework. That doesn't make any sense. If you let them do their homework, then they would probably act out less because they'd be doing better and things would make more sense to them. But instead, it's this vicious cycle. Um, So I I agree. I think that's a great point. And they get to do it all in the course of like a couple minutes where she's in detention. And I guess because Solomon's also in there, that was the other scene that he was in. Like he's all he also gets detention with her. And the the detention guy who runs it is doing that thing of like, that's another week on if you say one more thing. And she's like, but, and he's like, one more week. And she's like, that's garbage. And he's like, one more day. And you're like, I hate the way that works and that he can do that. And he has, that's yeah. like fair. Mm-hmm. I got um, sent to the principal's office plenty. I don't think I ever had detention. Plenty, huh? <laughs> I like elementary school and middle school. I remember often like, Doing the thing Lindsay does where, like, gets bullied, hits the other guy. Now we're both in trouble. The parents got called. Turns out nobody's really at fault. We're just a bunch of idiots. Like, that kind of thing. Nothing, like, serious. Um, But, yeah, those are just... I just have, like, memories of sitting in the principal's office exactly. Uh, Like, when, like, Lindsay talks to Rosso and it's just like, do you know that you did something wrong? And you say yes. And you say sorry. And then they try to make you never do it again. And that's kind of it. The only time I ever had... But it just, yeah, reminded me... The only time I ever had to talk to my housemaster in high school was uh, we didn't go to a British high school. That's just how the I was going to say that sounds really British, but no, yeah. <laughs> it's they were like deans, I guess. Yeah. Um, the only time I had to talk to my housemaster was when I uh, submitted some claim that I had perfect attendance for all of high school. And then she brought me in and was like, oh, actually, you, know, blah, blah, blah. you, you didn't. And then I had to, like, this day is missing. And then I had to argue my case and be like, fine, I'll go around to all my teachers and get them to sign off that I was here that day. And looking back on that, it's like, I bet all my teachers thought that I was just just the oh most God. annoying person in the world. <laughs> but I did. I had perfect attendance through all of high school. Just want to put that out there. Yes, he did. And you will never re- regret, you will never forget to mention it. <laughs> I also had perfect attendance in all of middle school. That's, that's impressive. Cause there's a lot, you got a lot going on in your mind in middle school. <laughs> Can't always come to school in middle school. <laughs> kind of difficult. Um, what were we talking about? We're talking about Lindsay. We're talking about detention. So the way that that gets to the Neil plot is Neil is at home and he gets a ventriloquist dummy. And uh, this episode actually also starts with a previously on, which is kind of cool because mm-hmm. it's like the only time it's ever done that. I think it's narrated by Sam Levine. He's like previously on Freaks and Geeks. And it just recounts all of the uh, infidelity stuff. Yeah. All the Neil stuff that we were like, this is going to come back. And then it didn't. And we were like, this isn't going to come back. And here it is. And then it did. And that totally did. <laughs> um, 
so so he's like sitting at the dinner table and they're like oh you know uh your brother is gonna be coming back soon and you're like oh shit like they they hype up i didn't realize that neil had a brother until that moment i don't think they've ever said it um and if they have it's been like in passing yeah there's a chance that they may have mentioned it before but this is the first episode where they really say it in a way that you're expected to remember it right and you get excited because you're like oh man barry what's barry gonna be like he's in (laughs) barry's a good name for that character actually um which we'll talk about but like oh what's like who's barry he's in college and then you remember like how mystical and interesting college is Mm -hmm. when you're in high school because it's still ethereal and as soon as you get to it it's and i mean this that's like part of the point they get to when they introduce barry is like it's kind of not magical it's just different Um, he's into it he likes it he likes it but i think that when he's introduced like at the next dinner or whatever it's very clearly like ah this family's got like it's kind of just like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree Hmm. he's got like very clear aspects of both his dad and uh his mom yeah and he's just the classic like i was from this boring suburb but then i went to college and i learned about like i'm like open-minded now and i party a lot and he's like he like lives animal house college basically Mm -hmm. um and they do a lot of really good work characterizing him played by the way really well hopefully this was in our cold open by our boy david crumholtz please be on our show please hang out with us david crumholtz i would love to be friends with david crumholtz even if we just texted every once in a while that'd be fantastic he's just got like a he's just got like a charisma he really does even from this young age even from this young fresh-faced age in the year 2000 he was uh He's very like likable and just mm-hmm. like, hey, how you doing? I'm uh, Barry. I'm ba- my, it's me, Barry. I'm the older brother. He plays it really well. Um, and and Barry is this character who they constantly remind you is two years into college and has no major. Um, and so that is like a point that's brought up constantly. Is like he's the older brother that Neil looks up to, but also he's kind of like not doing much. Like he's just kind of living college right now. Mm-hmm. He's like I'm figuring things out. And he has that line where he's like, I'm thinking about pre-law. And then his parents go, ooh. And then he tells Neil, he's like, I'm not thinking about pre-law, but look how they looked when I said that. <laughs> like, he is the lens of for this show to talk about what's going to come next. Right. Um, and it's sad because they never got to do college. I think that it would have been really interesting to see the Freaks and Geeks people in college. Um, hmm. well, we're going to talk about that a lot when we finish this show. Like, what, what further seasons of the show would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of go both ways on it, but I mostly lean towards like, I would think it would be at least interesting. And they clearly wrote that stuff and never let it come to pass. But hmm. alas, shows get canceled. Um, and Neil's conflict is basically, oh, I finally have someone I can just tell about this whole uh, cheating thing with dad. Um, maybe I should just tell Barry. And uh, before that happens, they also go to the high school and great scene. Great, great, great scene of uh barry at the high school and everybody's like whoa barry you're cool because he understands the like very very basic thing about being cool to young people which is just like say the thing they like and they're gonna love you (laughs) (laughs) like with sam he like references bill murray and sam's like whoa barry's awesome And he's like, Bill, how's Dallas? And you're like, what? <laughs> like, you just, you just have to name drop stuff they like and then they'll love you. Um, and then with Lindsay, he, all he has to do is say, I'm older and I think you're beautiful. That those are just, she just, her eyes light up. I'm just going to be a little bit condescending and a little bit misogynistic. Yes, 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 yes. All of those things. Oh, hey, it's um, me, Kowchevsky. 
Ah, get out of here, Kowchowski. You're you're dumb, but whatever he says. Yeah, well, he like starts by being very performative, being like, "Ha, screw you," and then he goes, y- "You can't punish me. I'm not. I don't go here anymore." <laughs> Which again, very condescending. Um, and then Kowchowski's like, "I, I don't care. I don't care. I Just really, <laughs> really don't care." It also reminded me how. Uh, this show took place in a time where you could still go back to your old high school, and that made me sad. Yeah, they don't really let us do that. You tried doing that recently. How recently? It's like a couple months ago, wasn't it? That was like very recently. Oh, oh, oh. Well, that was on a weekend. True, but I don't know if they'd let us go during a weekday. I think they just like don't let us in. Yeah, I've had friends who get have gotten like turned away at the front desk. But when we were in high school, people were always coming back and visiting. It was like they a- were Barry. They were Barry. It was like a thing that happened after we graduated. They started to get tighter. Exactly. About who could come in? Yeah, I think our high school in particular got very tight on security. I would have loved to have been able to do that revisit uh, before this podcast ended, so we could talk about what it was like for us to revisit our high school. But like I said, alas, yeah. uh, we could drive by and we can go hang out in the at the tennis rec courts. But uh, don't go in. Don't touch. Don't touch. Okay. So that's the whole situation. Barry's a pretty hip, cool dude, pretty, yep. you know, charismatic. It's like, it's my older brother. Oh, no, Lindsay likes him a little bit. That's fine. Anyway, I got my ventriloquism. That's all I need, right? Right. Then we move. Uh, well, so Neil remind- tells Barry, and then we have the house party. Oh, 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 you're right, you're right. Okay, so let's talk about the scene where Neil is telling Barry about this this issue. Um, so he tells Barry that he thinks that their dad is having an affair and Barry basically says, yep, yep, you're right. Uh, but you know, it would have been pretty tough for me, like having two different houses to go to. So whatever, like mom can, mom can live. Well, it's, it's not only that. I mean, cause that scene starts with so it's like perfect Neil in a sense where he's doing like a hand puppet, like, oh, kiss for you, mama, kiss for me, mama, mama. And it's like goes for way too long. And Barry's watching and just being like, good, good. This joke is bad. Stop. And then he tells him. And Neil goes from like sweet, adorable 15 year old me to, oh God, everybody in this family knew this already. I'm, I knew nothing. Yeah. Innocence yeah. shattered in one moment. Cause Barry's like, yeah, they're cheap. I, I knew that. I've known that for a very long time, dude. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, welcome to it. You just watch Neil break. Yeah. Welcome to it. Exactly. Um, and he says like what you're saying, that really powerful scene about like, would you rather live in two different houses? Would you rather have to have them go through an expensive divorce and not to have all these nice things and have to like tell people that you come from a whatever, like a broken family that's going to suck for you. So we just don't tell anyone. And it's like, yeah. fuck man, that's the way we handle things. There's also something disturbing for Neil. I think in the idea that this probably means that his dad has been like this for a long time, that this is just who his right. dad yeah. is. Because maybe he was even thinking of it as a recent transgression. Like um, that was the one incident. Yeah. But, oh, if Barry knows, then it's at least been going on for several years since he's two years into college. Exactly. And it, it, that's scary. Like, now his dad is a totally different person that he just does not understand or recognize. And that reframes, like his entire childhood yeah and so much of his like fundamental years being like ah, when was dad maybe when he wasn't there he was doing something else like you just that is like traumatizing you'll you'll think about that forever exactly uh and talk about like the father's uh influencing the way the kids think about masculinity and sex like there it is there it's all on the table now Mm -hmm. um very all the way from the beginning 
And so Neil is left to chew on that decision with his uh, his dummy, which he called Elsie, to call a figure. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we transition to the sort of like meat and potatoes, big money scene of the episode, which is the, uh, I guess, annual Schweiber family dinner party. Um, I'm going to real briefly say that Mr. Weir was the best thing about this scene. Oh, my God. Him getting drunk? Him getting drunk, him beforehand totally being my dad and being like, ah, these fucking guys are going to talk about dentistry stories and like show off their money. I love that stuff. I thought him being drunk was, I could take it or leave it. It's just a lot. Um, I think like Gene being drunk is like funny, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Weird being drunk is like, it's, this is a Tuesday, dude. You're already weird. You don't need that to be more weird. <laughs> I just have a thing about characters being drunk or high in TV where I like automatically don't think it's funny, but that's a yeah, I mean, personal issue. It's, it's so, impo- it's like near impossible to do it, to perform it the right way mm-hmm. um, and not have it seem cartoonish or like nothing. It's either too cartoonish or not anywhere, not mm-hmm. even noticeable. Yeah. So we're at this dinner party. Uh, yeah. So we're at the dinner party. Really great. Really fun. Lindsay's here. She wore a nice little thing. Whatever. Hey, we didn't think you were coming. No, I'm coming. It's me, Lindsay. I'm o- I always want to go to this. Just to hang. Just to hang out with uh, Barry. Barry. Hey, Lindsay. It's me, Barry. If anybody asks me what my major is, I'm just going to kill him. Hey, what's your major? Stab, 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 stab. You want to go take some, take some air? The phrase take everyone some says. Air. You want to take some air? <laughs> yeah. They go and take some air. And Barry is a sophomore in college, and he kisses a junior in high school. Oh, my God. So oh a little, God. little bit of an age gap. I mean, I guess, you know, um, it's just this, whatever. But This scene and the rest of the, the episode going forward, all of my notes here are just like, and then they're going to do this. And then my next note is, and there they, there they go. They totally did it. Like, everything you expect bad to happen just happens, like, in yeah. quick succession. Like, uh, Barry says, oh, they're going to ask me about my major. There you go. Somebody asks. Oh, uh, he's going off to go for a walk there. Are they going to kiss? There they go. Is Neil going to see it? Yes, he is. There <laughs> yep. they go. Yep, 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 it's yep. A comedy of errors, honestly. <laughs> is Barry going to say the word fakakta and then explain to Lindsay what it means? Yep, yep, he is. Yep. Why is this a Yiddish tutorial episode? I didn't need that. It's <laughs> cool. unnecessary. Great. Thank you for reminding me that the Schweibers are Jewish. I forgot. Thanks. I forgot that they're rich and they host a big party and <laughs> their dentist dad. Ugh, <laughs> it's so silly. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so they kiss. Neil sees it because he goes for a walk because he's depressed. I get that. Uh, and then he comes back and his dad does the thing that dads do where he's like, do your new stupid bit for my friends. <laughs> they all think it's dumb too, but they'll laugh at it. They'll humor you. Like, poor poor nice. dad in this one case trying to trying to be a cool dad and have a cool relationship with his son it's a right. bummer well, but also well, he, you know he's an adulterer whatever well yeah i mean he's trying to be like i like your hobby and i brought you an audience who will definitely humor you and laugh at your joke yeah uh this is good for you and it's i guess it's true but neil doesn't want to do this anymore because uh life sucks right now for neil and uh mm-hmm. so he starts doing the bit and it's like, ah, Dr. Dr. Schweiber, blah, 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 dentistry. Oh, he just wants your money so he can so he can buy a new car. Everyone gasps. I thought that was really funny. I thought that was a good joke that they shouldn't have been offended by. 
Yeah, that that was the the least of the trouble. Exactly. Um, and then he just kind of like escalates and escalates and talks about like how like your dad, my dad is your dad. You know, he's doing your dad because he's playing the character of the dummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of like just throwing him under the bus and saying terrible things about his dad and his work and how he's a fraud and all that stuff. Like basically saying everything that's on his mind without directly saying it. Right. Um, and then he throws down the puppet and he says, I told you I didn't want to do it. I wanted to rip yeah. off all of my skin and use it as a ventriloquist dummy. Is that a line? No, that's that's the degree to which I felt uncomfortable watching. Oh this right, scene. <laughs> wanted to yeah, you wanted to puppet yourself. That's it's yeah. so awkward. Um, fortunately, they don't sit on it too much. Like they immediately cut to he's in the room crying, and his mom comes in. Poor Mrs. Ugh. Schreiber. Oh, what a Ugh. scene! He's crying, and she says, "What? What is it?" And he's like, "I can't tell you." She's like, please, you can tell me anything. Mm. And then he mumbles, dad is cheating on you. And she doesn't react because she fucking knows too. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew. And she says, I'm not surprised. I'm sad to hear that you found out. I wish I could find these exact lines. It's really heartbreaking. I'm sorry, mom. It's okay. Why is it Okay. Marriage is a very complicated thing. There is nothing that is more important to me than you and your brother. Your father and I love you more than anything in the world. Now, he and I have got the rest of our lives to work out our marriage, but we've only got a couple more years with you here. You mean you know? Neil, we're working on it. Shh. But that's between me and your father. Nothing will ever change the fact that we love you very, very much. And you and Morty are very funny. Thanks, Mom. It's just like she's done caring about. I mean, she's probably not done caring about it, but she's made some kind of peace with it right. for the short term. And the thing that. Which is the saddest thing about all of this. Yeah. And the thing that breaks her heart is the fact that now Neil can't have the happy nuclear family childhood that she was going through this in order for him to still have. Right. It's it's a hundred percent definitely not gonna happen anymore. Yeah. It's tragic. It's it powerful. Really it's just on like, her part, it's powerful. Absolutely. Like the realization that like I said earlier, that like everybody knew this thing that I didn't know is like really scary and like we said, it's going to change Neil forever as a character. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that I'm like interested in seeing had this show gone on more. It's like, how does Neil grow up knowing this? Um, but the episode ends on that note. It's a really sad note. And it feels like the best way they could have handled this for now. Um, mm-hmm. Without like seasons more of development. Yeah. It's kind of like this yeah. is where Neil's family story ends for now is we realized at the core of this, what is like what is the fundamental flaw and we we're not going to do anything about it sorry you know that's like kind of where it it just puts its foot down and so that's where the episode ends folks it's a heavy one it gets real heavy daniel embraces kim uh 
Neil embraces his mom and uh, families are difficult. Mm-hmm. John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. And You're welcome. let's, let's take it to the mailbox and then we'll be back to discuss smooching and mooching. You're welcome. It's mailbox time, folks. Let's get right to the feedback. I'm Alan. I like to read your comments on the podcast before we discuss the second episode. It's been a week since we've done this. I forget how to do it. Let's get started. Angela Russo. Nick sings Michael Rowe the Boat Ashore when he's playing the guitar in the cafeteria, which I listened to and then immediately recognized. So good call, Angela. Alda Zeromans, a good friend, uh, sent us uh, her memos uh, regarding the last episode if we're interested which we are, and mentioned stuff about how she loved looks and books a lot and loved how Lindsay is able to be smart and people that matter don't give her shit for it. And she loves how the separation between her and the mathletes is handled. Just really a big fan of the mathletes like we were. And then also we enjoyed um, the pencil skirt talking about her outfit and how her outfit change was a big deal. She also says, The way you define friendship as someone you trust with your anxieties and fears is really accurate and good. And all the friendships that I consider to be good friendships, of which I have, like, three, are people that I'm completely open with and, like, we understand how to handle each other's stuff just by the nature of being around each other, even if we haven't been together in person in years. Uh, yeah, I think that's, like, a sentiment that Majal and I came to very, like, a long time ago, it feels like, of just, like, man, it is so weird that we put so much pressure on people to make friends where in reality isn't friendship just like allowing someone to uh have the keys to something that could hurt you or uh just like i don't know emotional vulnerability is something you're handing off to someone else and when you are saying that we are friends and uh for better or for worse it's sort of like love in a way you know we're all giving each other yeah these little uh pieces of our souls and hoping that they aren't abused and sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But good friends never do that. Do that. What? What are we talking about? Also, I like to think this is back to omens. I like to think I have something like that mathlete squad, but in actuality, I straddle two tables with two different friend groups. Yeah, I mean, I think most people in real life are actually kind of more like Maureen, where they just don't fit one click. They have like a couple, and sometimes the two interact, sometimes the three interact, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the more like true to life version of this whole click thing with the mathletes and stuff regarding choke it and token my experience is the same as yours the weed and the sex stuff is not something my corner of geeks is really pretty to and i'm pretty sure some of the theater kids smoke you are correct i don't care what theater group you're talking about the theater kids in fact smoke and then there's some other stuff about sex i am millie millie is me and it was really nice to see maureen yay love more love for millie my A-Push classroom is also an AP Euro classroom. We have a map of Europe and a map of North America and, a, and legit every other continent in one of those role maps. But if the map is stationary, it's plausible to have a map of Europe in that classroom if she teaches multiple disciplines. That's fair. I think you'd have to bring that up with Magellan. I'll uh, I'll see what he thinks about this comment. <laughs> I don't remember myself being bothered by the whole map of Europe in there. Taking advantage of the hug situation in regards to a friend's illness is gross, but also cute girl fixed my collar today and was touching my neck and I just about died so I'm not sure how I'd act in that situation yeah that's fair I thought Maureen wanted to see wanted to go see Bill and Vicky just tagged along that's actually the like right that seems like the right way to read that scene more than like why are these random girls hanging out at the hospital I think it's just Maureen was an old friend and wanted to see Bill and then regarding dead dogs and gym teachers 
Uh, this one's going to be brief, but the scene with Bill and Fredericks where Bill walks out and the different kind of respect you have for teachers when you find out they have lives outside of school instantly reminded me of when I went out for coffee with my middle school Spanish teacher, only to find out she's a smoker, which even though most of the adults in my life smoke, was a bit of a shock. Rock and roll. Um, so, uh, we then have Angela's comments on Twitter talking about uh, noshing moshing being packed, lots of stuff going on. Nick reminds me of Bill Murray and What About Bob, a film Alan has not seen. Cindy has always seemed very vapid, accurate. I think that's a part of the reason that Sam likes her. I hope she has hidden depths. She does not, Angela, I'm sorry to tell you. Um, Harold is blowing Nick's mind. Nick says, how did he learn to do that? And Harold says, I don't know, maybe he took a lesson. This is all regarding um, the smooching and mooching this, the episode after uh, the one that we discussed this week. So, um... How would I save the rest of these? I'll give you that little taste with Harold and all that, and then I'm going to save the rest of those for um, next week. So hang out to those comments, Angela. We're going to read them next week. And then uh, uh, last little bit, bit of fun stuff that happened here. Um, Angela sent us two pictures of herself back in 1981 and said, Since Freaks and Geeks is winding down, I thought I'd show you what I was like in 1981. Overshare? Maybe. Hashtag no regrets. And then two very cute pictures of a young Angela Scrangela. Looking adorable. Good times on Twitter. Fun times. I'm going to wrap up the mailbox this week by reading an email from our friend Dax. Or at least part. Greetings, Alan and Magellan. Only a few short episodes left, and that'll be the end of our beloved Freaking Geeks. Even though I'm doing a commentary run through and not listening to the main dialogue, I feel like an upcoming sense of loss looming over the horizon yet again. Let's not be gloomy and get right to it. Noshing Moshing featured a commentary by James Franco and Jed Apatow. They talk about Franco auditioning. He says he did the drum kit scene that eventually went to Nick, and that Daniel was originally supposed to be Latino. Which lines up, actually. To try to get a feel for the character, Franco traveled to Paul Feig's hometown in Michigan, going to his dad's sporting goods store in high school. He met Feig's AV teacher, who recalled Feig was nicknamed King of the AV. Apatow says they were all amazed that he, he did that and showed such a level of commitment. Yeah, James Franco, 100%, seems like the kind of guy that would go to that trouble. It's worth it. It, it shows in Daniel's character. Apatow says the idea of Daniel's dad being injured and him trying to deal with that came from a friend of his in college whose own dad was robbed and beaten up and resulted in being similarly disabled. He thought it was a good way to make Daniel more sympathetic to know he was trying to deal with a troubling family situation. Franco notes that the goth girl, Shawnee Jones, was once considered the top underwear model because she could hold her breath for three minutes holding products underwater. What? What did I just read? Apatow noted that she was really shy so that they were impressed during her takes and when she wasn't holding back. Yeah, I, Shawnee Jones, great actress. Good, good scenes where she does get dialogue and stuff with Daniel and stuff. Like Frank came up with a white hairstyle and wanted to put a big anarchy A on the back of his jacket for the episode. But it turns out they couldn't get it cleared for copyright issues. They both laugh at the fact that the symbol for anarchy is copyrighted. That's some beautiful uh, anarchy irony right there. Ironarchy. Uh, talking about how they wanted a big bar mitzvah for Neil, but spent too much money renting the punk club. Franco talks about his paintings. Oh, I didn't know James Franco paints. That's pretty cool. Uh, Franco noting that he recently wrote two plays... This was around uh, probably 2003 when the commentaries were recorded, and that Sam Levine showed up for both of them to support him, bringing along Sarah Hagen, who is Millie. Very cool. I love that all of the cast are uh, friends. Or at least Sam Levine and Sarah Hagen. In Smooching and Mooching, Sam Levine says he worked so hard to eat as little as possible in the lunch scenes, where Martin Starr says he ate so much of it and loved it. 
And that's the last bit of that email that I'm going to read because the rest of it is about smooching and mooching. So that is the mailbox for this week. Again, sorry for the one episode discussion. We will be next. We will be back next week to talk about smooching and mooching in full. And then it's Freaks and Geeks finale time. So everyone have a great week and uh, take care of yourselves.